Thank you for choosing to listen to this message. At Coastal, we believe in changing and enriching lives through the power of the Word. We pray that this message would be a blessing to you. Thank you so much. You know, I, I just realized when a pastor gives you a mic like this, it's a huge trust he's given you because you guys are precious to your leaders and they know they're going to be standing before God um, for what they allow into this congregation. So I don't take this lightly. And I, I always, I often say it when I speak somewhere and people think I'm joking. I'm not joking. If I say something that cuts across where the leaders are going with this congregation, please jump up, shout heresy or whatever. Or, or you can say it nice if you want. But, but I, I, I'm so aware that God doesn't entrust his people to prophets, but he entrusts them to shepherds. And there's a reason for that. He's given them a shepherd's heart that will selflessly lead you guys. And their hearts would be that you bypass them in fruitfulness. Um, so for me, it's, it's, a, it's a big honor. And I'm, I'm, I'm not just slightly afraid. Not of you, I'm afraid of God. I really don't want to mess with all these things. So, but I, I'm also very funny, and I can't help the fact that, that I like it when people laugh at my jokes. You know, they always talk about um, love languages, and I say my love language is this, when people laugh at my jokes. But... <laughs> No pressure. <laughs> so I've been welcomed into this congregation. I travel so much that I have to make myself at home wherever I go. So, you know, when people, um, when you are hosted by someone, they go, make yourself at home. And I'm like, really make myself at home? Because I'm going to make myself at home. <laughs> I'm not going to treat this like a tell. I'm not going to act like a guest. You can say she's a guest speaker. I know I'm part of the family while I'm here. And next week I'll be moving on to um, South Carolina. And I'm so excited because I'm staying with a couple that I met in South Africa. Um, for me, apart from the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, there's nothing more beautiful on this planet than the church. And she, she, uh, yeah, she's often been abused. She's often been... Um, yeah, twisted into a place of misrepresenting the bridegroom, but God hasn't given up on the church. He has not decided, oh, you know, church hasn't worked out that well. Let's just start a million ministries where each person do their own thing and hope for the best. No, from, from the start, his desire was to rescue unto himself a people that will be a household that represents his heart. Where when people walk in, they'll go, oh, is that what Jesus is like? Not because one of us have all the gifts or all the answers, but because together, as each part play their parts, we become the bride that he wants to come back for. So the church is a holy thing. <laughs> the church um, is still God's Number one plan to, to show who he is to a world, to be the light of the world. So even as you discover the weaknesses, if you're new in this congregation, you might still think they're perfect. Well, now that you've joined, well, then they, they, they're not perfect anymore. I mean, I'm standing here, so they're not perfect anymore. So get used to the fact that we all need grace to be extended to us, but it doesn't take away from the fact that God decided 
to use imperfect people, to build them together into our home and to dwell there by His Spirit. So um, I always ask the Lord, Lord, what do you want to say? And since I'm here today, this word is for me too. I'm not preaching at you. He said to us, be like Barnabas. And um, this is usually how the Lord speaks to me. Like I then have to, then he just says that and then I have to go, Lord, tell me more in which way. And the Lord said to me, in every way. And as he said it, by the sound of his voice, it was so much more than just words. I realized how deeply he adores Barnabas, how deeply he adores this man that he's lifting out as an example to us this morning and say, be like him. And we all know that he showed his great love for us, for dying for us while we were still sinners. We know God loves us all, but it's clear as we look through scripture that there are some people that capture his attention in a special way, like David, a man after his own heart. And uh, uh, Moses, he was like, he walked with God as one walks with a friend. And, and all these people should inspire us to live the kind of lives and to stay in step with the Spirit in a way that we actually do not just have assurance He loves me, but that we have a deep, deep intimate relationship with Him. We, every step we take, we just want to please Him. That's what I want to live like. I get it wrong often, and I'm grateful. Like, I, I'm someone, the only way I can put it, I'm on a short leash. I'm really pathetic when I'm not connected to the Lord. I really am weak and I get depressed and I I'm, lose my mind. And so I'm so grateful. I'm not someone, you know, some of you can still wander back into the world and have a semi-successful life. I, I cannot. I cannot. Um, he has, he's my joy. Um, he's my home. Uh, he, he's my everything. And, um, and so why was I saying that? <laughs> I'm getting so emotional. Because you needed to hear it, thank you. So I'm, I'm just so aware of his tender presence here today. And the fact, it was so beautiful how um, Joey shared, but there's really a sense that God wants to, even though we're together, which is very special, as individuals, he really wants to meet intimately with us and speak to us today. So don't worry about everything I say or try and take notes of everything. But if the Lord highlights something to you, just take note. Because we love to hear new things or love to hear um, sermons or teachings. The problem comes in when we're ever hearing and not responding. And I feel the Lord is more than ever saying to his people, do not just listen, but obey. So I, I would love all of us to be obedient to the word that the Lord brings this morning. So we introduced to Barnabas in Acts 4, verse 36, 37. So the morning, this first congregation also started out like you guys, all like proper, sitting still. And so I need some, it's like preach it. And like, I mean, and yes, like whatever, whatever you guys do. If there's something you agree, if there's something you agree with, like please cheer me on. Um, otherwise I'm thinking, what have I said? Why are they all looking so scared? Like, <laughs> so... Acts 4, verse 36, 37. This, um, this, that's Joseph, which means God adds, who was called um, by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Um, and already I'm stuck on that. I'm like, 
We never hear the name Joseph again, right? He's referred to as Barnabas throughout the book of Acts. And he must have oozed encouragement out of every pore if a nickname like that could stick. You know, like a lot of my friends have had nicknames, but we might, few of us might use it or when we would tease them or whatever. But, but for a man whose name to be changed to son of encouragement, there must have been something so special on him. It says so much about him. So and in verse 36, it says he was a Levite, a native of Cyprus, and he sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So I, I was trying to think, like, is there anywhere where he actually said something? Because it wouldn't be lovely. You know, like the prayer of Jabez was so in fashion. People wrote books and then write another book and then praying the prayer of Jabez over your children and then praying the prayer of Jabez over your business. And, then, and it's like, yeah, take those words and do something with it. And there's no such thing. There's no like, oh, the ultimate word of encouragement was written for us to know what Barnabas said. No, none of that. But his life speaks loudly. So we want to look at his life. There's no recorded words, but yo, what an inspirational life. And um, I, I'm always happy to find out that those in the Bible, the heroes of the faith, that none of them were perfect either, except Jesus, uh, obviously perfect. But even Barnabas made mistakes. You know, he dropped the ball. We know about it because Paul wrote it to the Galatians and then it got printed and translated and added into the Bible and spread throughout the world and then into Christian bookshops and we can all read about Barnabas's embarrassing moment. <laughs> Paul and Barnabas, brothers from another mother. So, so um, Barnabas, these guys come from Jerusalem and even Barnabas are deceived, Paul said, into not eating with the Gentiles. And Paul makes that public. So it's not like Barnabas was this tough, perfect guy. He made, he really dropped the ball there. I mean, he's, they were supposed to be all about uh, the Gentiles coming in uh, and becoming one household with the Jews. So, so we know that about Barnabas. And, uh, and also for me, even that speaks of something beautiful because I don't know if I would have talked to Paul again after that. And yet they stayed friends and co-workers for the rest of their lives. So I think we can learn something from that. Like, even though Barnabas was a soft-hearted man, I believe, he had a thick skin. He could handle, he could handle correction. Uh, I had to learn to take correction the hard way, hey? I was at art school when I was like 18, 19, 20. And it was hard initially when all your lecturers basically do is to pull your work apart, to correct you. And then I actually got used to it. And then I realized that's the only way you get better. And I want to encourage you to stir one another, to spur one another on in the faith and to ask one another, help me. Is there something I can do better? Um, is there something that you've seen in me as a friend that's not like Jesus that I can adjust? I mean, I'm petrified when I ask that question because like, you're like, you don't know what's going to come because we have blind spots, don't we? I love the fact that people say all across the world, if you ask a married couple, if you ask the guy, um, like a number out of 10, how's the marriage doing? He's going eight, nine, something like that. And the wife's going three, four, and he's got blind spots, like all the way up to here, you know. I heard the story about your peripheral vision. Yeah, remember? 
but I won't share it. Peripheral vision. I, 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 it's, yeah. <laughs> but sometimes our peripheral visual is, vision is really bad. We need one another. Barnabas was a man that could take correction. But anyway, that was just for free, side note. Not even a note. Okay. So then in Acts, verse 11, Acts 11, verse 24, we see a description of a situation where the apostles in Jerusalem heard about this, um, these amazing things the Spirit is doing in Antioch. The church is growing, Gentiles are getting saved, and they sent Barnabas um, to go and see what's happening. And there it says, he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many were added to the Lord. So the fruitfulness that followed him was just incredible. So let's look at some of the ways we can be more like him. The first place, remember when we were introduced to him, did we read that? We, he brought his field and laid it at the apostles' feet. So he, the words say that where our treasures is, there our hearts will be. And it's very clear that he knew where he wanted his heart to be. He wanted his heart to be in kingdom work. He wanted his heart to be backing his leaders. You know, it's a big thing to entrust yourself to those the Lord trusted enough to make your shepherds. And I, I just look at that. It's like he didn't say, okay, I'm giving you this money. It is for the extra baby room that's going to be built on. And then I want a little plaque with my name saying, Barnabas built this mother's room. No, he just laid it at the apostles' feet. And he entrusted his resources to them. It says, to me, it says a lot about his heart. And I know there's men like that among you. I know there's people like that among you who's entrusted yourself to the leaders here. And the fruitfulness of this congregation is not, it's, it's not just the, it's not just, I know they've built well, but it's not just, oh, the, the leaders have done well and therefore this fruitfulness. It's because you gave yourself. You put your, your treasure where you want your heart to be, your yeah, and it's, it's a beautiful thing. And money is the least of the things, hey? Our time, our capacity, our emotional capacity, our hearts, it's much harder to give. You know, it's, it's easy to, to throw um, finance, depending on how much finances you have, to put it in, throw it into a, pro a project. But to give yourself in service is hard sometimes. And here you have two services now. So the amount of people serving is even more. And the amount of opportunities for you to be like Barnabas to bring, to be generous with your time and generous with your resources and generous with your service. It's, a, it's, it's beautiful. We have, um, I was part of the congregation, that the first congregation we planted, four of us planted, and it grew to 180 by that end of the year, and then we started planting out, and that's 53 congregations ago. So you can imagine just when you have like someone that preaches well, it's like, bye-bye, you planting in the next neighborhood. And now we have to listen to someone that's learning on the job and we are all gracious and patient. And then like we had this brilliant musician and then we're back to singing out of tune just so that we all say the, sing the same thing. And, and then it just, but it's, a, it's become a glorious way of life that we don't hold tightly to anything that we're not a building a little precious little community, family church here where it's all comfortable for me, but that we're always willing to lay down our lives for one another, whichever way that might mean. Even with these two services, be like Barnabas, be generous. 
Our God is a giver, and um, He's given us freely. Eh? He's given us salvation. He's given us um, provision. He's given us all these things, and we can't sit on it. Like one of the, the things that I'm excited about for you is all these open seats, because freely you've received salvation. Now go preach the gospel, the true gospel. Don't assume everyone has heard the true gospel. It was so beautiful listening to Rod's testimony of how the first time he heard the gospel, the proper gospel that included the love of God, the, the call to repent from our sin and to make him Lord, and he was born again. He couldn't believe that he was the only person responding. He thought, surely everyone that heard this got to respond. There's people like that. Yes, there's people that don't want to listen to you. There's people that has heard the gospel and rebelled against it many times. But we don't know who are destined for these seats. So be as generous with the good news as God has been when he gave you salvation. I think in... Something I actually feel as a word also for your congregation, uh, for your yeah, for your congregation, is the the thing of your friendship groups. There's, there's few things as precious on this planet as friends, eh? but sometimes, what is the difference between a friendship group and a clique? There's something when that circle closes and it goes click, it clicks into place, and there's no space for anyone else. And we have the song in South Africa: "Make the circle bigger, make the circle bigger." And as believers, because God, God made the circle bigger and made space for us in his family. I mean, he had one perfect son. Really, if I had one perfect son, I wouldn't be adopting you, Oaks. <laughs> and he made space for us. Let's keep our friendship circles, circles that can come get bigger. Don't let it click into place like, I mean, I laugh at my mom. She is 81, so I have, have, I have a lot of patience with her in terms of things. But she loves the Bible study groups, and she does, really doesn't like it when other people come. <laughs> it's just, it's so nice right now, you know. So I try, but then she does say to me, she has such a desire to lead someone to the Lord before she dies. So I said, Mom, for, for you to lead people to the Lord, you might have to make the circle bigger in your Bible study group, you know. <laughs> yes, it takes sacrifice. Yes, it's not always comfortable. But can you make space in your family, around your dinner table, um, the way you've made space with seats in the church meetings? Can you make space in your lives? Can you make room for those that's different to you, that's not necessarily a natural clique? That's not like you've got bikes in common or guns in common or art in common, but just people that you can love into family. Because the preciousness of a family is not that we're all the same, right? That's why, praise Jesus. I mean, I, at one point, I, was, um, I ministered at a biker's church. It is terrible. I've also, I've also ministered at a surface, Christian surface group. Now, you know what? Everyone's got the same idol. I mean, it's like the Oaks have their motorbikes sleeping in their bedroom and their wife sleeping on the couch kind of thing, you know. It's just, don't, we, we are called to be family and a family is different. And what I find, even as Josh Jean grew and got bigger, I fell into that temptation of inviting people to, that have something in common. Invite the arty crowd or invite the guys that like the prophetic or invite the business people or whatever. And soon I realized that the moment you have something in common like that, 
it's about that thing. If you bring people together that has nothing in common except Jesus, it will be about Him. So just a tip for as you reach out in hospitality, it makes it so much more fun. It gets boring to hang out with people that's just like you. <laughs> so second one is they say he was a Levi, which implies that he was in a line of priests that had to know parts of Scripture off by heart. And uh, uh, so Romans 15 verse 4, what a wonderful book the Lord has given us. I'm like, wow. I mean, I wouldn't want to have this book without the Spirit breaking it open for us. But imagine not having those pleasant boundary lines, not having the inspiration of all these people that over centuries have, have lived for God. So for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. Even the book of Leviticus. Rod assured me that it's full of things about Jesus, but I'm like, I'm still looking. <laughs> so that through the endurance taught by scriptures and the encouragement they provide may give us hope. You want to get better at encouragement? Eat that book. What you take in will come out of you. You know, like some people want to step out. They want to grow in the prophetic, but they're so nervous to step out. Not all scriptures are safe. There is some scriptures that if you send it to someone, it could be, it could be not so encouraging. <laughs> but there's plenty of encouragement in scripture that you can share. And you know at least what you're sharing is biblical. You'll find out if it's applicable for that day. But use the word, eat it, uh, share it. I'm going to be a little bit controversial. So are you ready to jump up if I... Gee, you guys also sometimes have a friend that sends all 88,000 friends I have on Facebook and on WhatsApp the same little thingy that they found somewhere on Facebook or something. You know what? Each of us, thank you, Val. Thank you, Val. Each of us have a relationship with Jesus. We can hear the shepherd's voice. If you share a scripture to your WhatsApp friends or on Facebook or whatever, or you share a thought that the Lord's dropped into your heart, make sure it's fresh manner that you got from him and that you're now sharing. I think sometimes we are so scared that we miss it that we just copy whatever the most, like the latest, most trusted person have said. And, and it's sad because we can all hear Jesus and we can all share words of encouragement. And the more raw and real it is, the better. Don't worry about the grammar police and your spelling. You know what's the nice thing? It's so freeing. English is my second language. I really don't care whether our R is or whatever. And it's even more fun because you guys in South Africa, people go, oh, she's from the farm. Can you hear that accent? Like she's definitely from the Boerland where they speak funny. And I'm like, oh, you just think my accent's posh, don't you? <laughs> no one's laughing. Mm. So, <laughs> so if you want to grow in the gift, you didn't. Yeah, so, okay, okay. So it was very funny, Arlene says. <laughs> so if you want to grow in the gift of encouragement, if you want to grow in the gift of prophecy, then fill yourself with the Word of God. It is so useful. A bridge builder. 
that's what Barnabas, like one of the examples is in Acts 9 verse 27, you, you meet Saul that's now become Paul and the believers are scared of him because he has a reputation as someone that dragged people off to prison, Christians off to prison. And Barnabas uses his really good reputation as a good man that's full of the Spirit. He uses it to bridge with the guys in Jerusalem and he brings Paul into proper fellowship. It's a power that all of us have. You know, the way that you introduce someone, the way that you speak behind people in the church's backs, you can bridge or you can divide. <coughs> and you know, I do recognize that it's costly to associate with all kinds of interesting people. I lived in a, I don't know if you guys can picture this, in South Africa we have townhouse complexes. You know what I'm talking about? So it's flat, like you live kind of on top of people and uh, everyone's fighting about parking spaces and, and then there's, you know, everything that happens there, you hear it. It's just people on top of one another. And I had these neighbors moving in and their little girl was frequenting my home. And they were um, a rough family, if you want to get an idea of how rough. <laughs> As I started associating with them, the one lady on my side of the, of the place decided that, she, that I'm lower class because I'm you know, friends with these people. And I said to her, I didn't know, like we're in 17th century England, that there's still a class system, you know, and it's not exactly like we're living in where Val and Rod lived in South Africa, you know, like it is a bit, you know, it's not, I don't know what it would be, yeah, but it's not exactly a posh area. So, so um, she decided to work me out of that complex because I was associating with a very broken, rough family. Interesting. Eh? Just to give you an idea, that advice that Rose gave me. So I've had so many trips on memory lane because she actually passed away. This lady passed away on Friday, last Friday. But she said to me, when, when we were talking about this problem of this, this woman warning everyone against me and, and trying to work me out of the complex and whatever, she, <laughs> she said to me, Milani, you've got weak arms. If you ever get into a confrontation, you're not going to win the fight. So always take a brick with. <laughs> and don't even start peaceful negotiations. Just hit the person with a brick in the face. And I said, I said, you know, Rose, that's the difference between you and I. You have spent many nights in police cells, in our local police cells. I'm still walking free, so I think I'll try the negotiations, <laughs> and then I'll try prayer and spiritual warfare, but we're not going to do the brick. Um, but what is amazing is that whole family uh, came to the Lord. It was so messy, but the amount of friends that they then brought to the Lord and brought to church, oh, I'm so off my notes, but I have to tell you, so special. Like, um, uh, Faithy, Faithy is the little girl, and she was four years old when her mom uh, first got saved, and then her dad went to church for the first time. And her dad was Canadian, so uh, they grew up totally godless, without any church, anything. And he walked into church, and he said to me, he didn't want to leave. So everyone was like backing up, we're going, he's just going to stay a bit longer. And then when we got home, he said, I'm going to tell you something now, you're going to think I'm mad. But I, somewhere, I heard a voice calling me. And he said, he, he sat down and he heard someone go, Peter, Peter. 
And he thought it was one of my friends that I've introduced him to before. But then he heard it on the other side of the church. And then he heard it behind him. And then he heard it surround sound. And I said, Peter, that is, you're not crazy. God speaks audibly. God calls you by name. And I said to him, what did you say? He said, no, I didn't say anything, but I really wanted to tell him I'm sorry. Isn't it beautiful? <laughs> Isn't it beautiful? So Peter got saved. Rose got saved. Um, and uh, I just remember the atmosphere in that home changing. And, uh, um, and little Faith, he said to me, I think she was four or five already. She said to me, Melani, you made me a happy family. Aww. Oh, yellow. Yo, so there's people like that out there. They might be rough. Your neighbors might think you're lower class because you associate with them. But wow, what a beautiful thing when they come into. And just um, last week with her passing away, I, I shared a photo of the day she got baptized. And I just remember that thing of, of how different someone looked when they're born again. You know? And this household, there's no greater delight than the cry of the newborn. Those that come into the kingdom for the first time. And yes, they be in their pants and there's diapers to change and they're demanding and they need a lot of feeding and there's trouble that comes with little ones. But the delight of the newborn amongst us, the delight of little new believers running around doing funny things, misquoting scripture or... Um, Oh, yeah, oh, let's, it's worth it. It's worth it. Be bridge builders. Reach out to those that's different to you. Then he was an includer. Oh, I love it. You guys applaud. I must teach the Josh Ennis. If I say something good, you guys like, oh, applaud. It's very encouraging. Um, so in, uh, included, Acts 11 verse 25. Um, there's just a moment where, there's so much work in Antioch. He goes and fetch Paul's and in, Paul and includes him in the work there. And then it was still Barnabas and Paul. So he gave someone else opportunity. He built team. Give other people opportunity. You guys are faithful servants in this house. It's not enough that you serve faithfully. Show others how to serve. Bring them alongside. Teach them that this is not a church where you warm up you. The seats are nice and warm as it is. We all have a part to play. We all have a place to serve. Leaders. He was a leader, but a man under authority. So he was so trusted that the, the men in Jerusalem can send him to Antioch. And he would just go. You know, in a generation where it's like, no one will tell me what to do. No, he actually let men say to him, Barnabas, please won't you go for us? And he went. A later stage in the church in Antioch. He's been there for a while the Holy Spirit say, set apart for me, Paul and Barnabas for the ministry, and they are sent. I don't have to say anything more than that. But we need to learn the godly value again of submitting to one another, submitting under authority. So, um, so what is beautiful? So you see him as a leader that submitted and gets sent. But then you also see this thing that happens. It's very significant in Scripture. The word starts going Saul and Barnabas and Plas van, I'm speaking Afrikaans, instead of, <laughs> instead of uh, Barnabas and Paul. It's now Paul and Barnabas. And I just thought I love that flexibility because our flesh want to be first. Our flesh feels like I've worked myself up 
like the ranks, you know. I went from, from greeting at the door to leading worship to like being over all the worship leaders and now I'm an elder and then I'm going to be an apostle and, and then I hear about the next big thing and I like think maybe we can be an apostle, pastor, preacher and it's this whole chasing after titles and position. It's in our flesh, kill it. To say, no, that's not kingdom. That's not kingdom. Kingdom is one day I can be Barnabas, and I'm including Paul and my team, and the next day I can be Barnabas that's now in Paul, and Paul is leading the team. Leonard Bernstein, uh, the conductor of the New York Philharmonic Orchestra, was interviewed by a journalist uh, the one time, and the journalist said to him, Mr. Bernstein, what is the most difficult instrument to play. And he said, that's very easy. <laughs> Without delay, he could answer and said, the second fiddle. And he said, it's very easy to find people that could play the first violin with enthusiasm, but to find someone that will play the second violin with devotion, with dedication and with passion is so hard. And... Uh, I think it's like that in the church, hey? unless we kill our flesh, that we'll be people that's willing to play the second fiddle and to play it with gusto. Not because if I play the second fiddle well, then maybe someone will give me the first fiddle. No, just because we want to do with all of our hearts um, what Jesus has asked us to do. We want to do what we find our hands to do with gusto. Uh, I mean, I think, I think, like, personally, the triangle is probably easier to play. Um, I don't know how much fun it is and how many time you get to, times you get to go, bing. But if you've been handed a triangle, be the best triangle player you can be for Jesus. Make your leader's job a joy by doing what they've entrusted to you with great enthusiasm. And then he went on to say, this, this Bernstein guy, he said... Without the second fiddle, he was now saying how hard it is to find someone playing the second fiddle. And without the second fiddle, there's no harmony. You know, if we all just play our own tune and try and like, you know, like our, our instrument of choice or whatever, there's chaos. But the sound of Jesus come when we harmonize, when each part play their part, when we with enthusiasm do with all of our hearts, what the Lord's asked of us to do, whether it's doing something in the church or whether it's loving our children or whether it's um, being kind to our elderly parents. So it doesn't matter. The sound that comes through is the sound of Jesus. It sounds like Jesus. Jesus who was equal to God and yet took on the form of a servant. He played second fiddle all the way. If you look at Jesus' life, he played second fiddle. And if there's ever someone that's worthy of first fiddle, it's him. Yeah, be merciful. Oh, yeah, I've already lost track of the time again. How many minutes? <laughs> I've got two points left, so I fully... I just, I really try and keep track, but I think it's jet lag. You just lose all understanding of what time is. 
Um, so he was merciful. Acts 15, verse 36 and 41, we see that Paul and Barnabas has a strong disagreement about John Mark. Because John Mark actually did mess up and Paul wasn't willing to give him a second chance. But Barnabas said, no, I'll take him with me. And um, later on in life, you see how Paul uh, is again, his, his respect for John Mark is restored and his appreciation of him is restored. So again, that thing of bridge builder, beautiful example of that. And um, it's not like we're going to be foolish in giving people chances that, they, that we know, or we don't know what they, if they have what it takes to be faithful with this. It's not like we ask someone to serve in children's church if they like, have been selling children to the Russians as instruments of torture or something. You know, we, we make sure that we hand our tasks to reliable men. But when they mess up, give them another chance and another chance. I love the way Andrew said. Andrew is one of the easiest speakers to listen to. He's really lovely to listen to. The first time he was asked by his elders to make the announcements, it was so bad that not one of them wanted him to ask, ask him to say something on the mic again. It was really, really bad. But somehow, I don't know at which point, they gave him a chance again. And he had an opportunity to learn on the job, to get better. I hear there's some of you guys that's going to be preaching and it's going to be your first time. Be gracious, applaud, cheer, laugh at their jokes because everyone has to start. We learn on the job. We learn on the job. Be merciful and give second chances. He was full of the Holy Spirit. I think that's a message to the church. Eh? We have been too clever for our own good. We've learned, we thought we learned the steps of how we should do church and, and often we've been out of step with the Holy Spirit and I just see what he's doing in my church back home. There's been an incredible outpouring of the Spirit but it's something, there's something so different in our services. It's almost like God is so not concerned with what we like. He's more and more bringing what he loves. So even I was thinking, it hap it's been happening in every service. We have, like for example, one girl, she's an incredible woman of God, ballerina, and she's danced for an, a Christian ballet company. She's a professional and she dances beautifully on the stage. But recently, it's like God has put his spirit on people that aren't great dancers. But there's something of the dance that just speaks of who God is. It is just extravagant worship. Or, you know, like we, there's songs that we like as congregations. Hey, it's a pretty song. You know, as, as, a, as a music leader, if you're going to play that song, everyone's going to go, hoo, hoo, you know, like we like it. More and more, it feels like there's a rawness coming in worship of sometimes us just repeating one line from a prophetic song. And, and or, or even like I've felt in certain services, that praise wasn't enough. And it's like everyone just roared. Everyone just went, God, you're so amazing. So let him have his way. Let him have his way. It's his church. And I promise you, you're going to like what he likes too because it's perfect. It's so not boring. It's so wonderful. It's full of his glory. It's full of his glory. Take your hands off the steering wheel and let Jesus drive. It is exhilarating. It is exhilarating. 
it, it causes us to become the kind of church that's so full of the Holy Spirit that when people walk in here, they cannot but fall on their face and say, surely God's among you. We want that, hey? You know, this morning, um, I think Bell said, uh, uh, we're not going to welcome you, Lord, because you are here. You know, it's wonderful. He's here. Instead of saying, welcome, let's say, do what you want to do. Do what you want to do. You know, often I pray this way. I just say, Lord, Holy Spirit, do inside of me what you want to do. Do through me what you want to do. Do in me what you want to do. Go for it, God. Whatever it is that you want to do, do it. And my flesh already starts going, do I really want him to do anything he wants to do? You know, like I, I was thinking the birth of the first church. So if I was him, I would have like rented a really nice like synagogue, you know, that in Jerusalem, like a nice venue. Then I'll first get Saul saved. And Soma came a Lyle too, you know, like the big the big guys, get them saved, the celebrities in the Jewish community. Then they preach, like their best preach. You make sure the seats are soft, the music's beautiful. Am I being naughty? <laughs> or is there something in our flesh that like things like that? You know what he does? He picks fishermen. And I'm not, I don't know what the fishermen were like, but that, that lady I spoke about, Rose, she was a fisherman's wife. Peter was a fisherman. In Canada and in South Africa, I know fishermen are rough. It's a rough bunch. Huh? Yes. Thank you. Thank you for that, Mr. Peripheral, peripheral Vision. So I don't know what it was like, but I know that God didn't pick those of noble birth or that was wise in, in, in the eyes of the world. He didn't pick um, those who, the strong in the worldly sense. He picked us, the foolish, the weak, lower class, like me. He picked us to show His glory, but He filled us with His Holy Spirit. So on the day of Pentecost, the birth of the church, you have a bunch of fishermen. Not one single Pharisee who was a respect. We think they're the baddies. They were the respected people. Not one respected person gets up to preach in Pentecost. Now, Peter, let's pick Peter. He pours out his spirit in a way that don't make the Jews or Gentiles think, what a noble bunch of people. No, they appear drunk. That's, that's really embarrassing. So the Holy Spirit comes upon and Peter have to say, we're not drunk as you suppose, but we've been filled with the Holy Spirit. And 3,000 people get saved in one day. Our ways, His ways are not our ways. And I think the Lord more and more going to just go, shame, please, when we bring our flesh. It's going to say, I want what is of my spirit. I want what is of my spirit. It's a time for Him to have His way in His own church to wash his bride clean, to prepare her for the day when he can return for her without spot, without blemish. And we are part of that bride. So Lord, change me. And we are part of that bride. Lord, change us as a community of believers. Empower us to be the fruit of the Spirit, but also to move in the power of the Spirit. Because what we can offer in our flesh, what we can offer in the natural 
is not what God's requiring. Let's be like Barnabas.